Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Welcome back to Podside Picnic. As always, this is Connor, and I am here with my inimitable co-host, Pete. And today, we have a special guest for you. He is Owen Higgins. He is a staff writer and an editor at Common Dreams, uh, all-around writer and Twitter personality. Uh, Owen, thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I really uh, appreciate the opportunity. Come on and talk about some sci-fi. Right on. Yeah, we are th- we're thrilled to have you on. And just to give everyone a little bit, a little bit of background on what we're doing, um, we're talking about a movie that came out in 2009. It's called Pandorum. It has Ben Foster and um, uh, Randy Quaid. Dennis, Dennis Quaid. Quaid. One of the, Dennis Quaid, one of the Quaids. <laughs> it should Dennis have Quaid. been Randy Quaid, though. Come on, man. Yeah, honestly. but Because this is a wacky uh, psycho movie, and therefore, <laughs> uh, unfortunate, the unfortunate Quaid, Quaid might have been appropriate. But anyway, uh, it's sort of not to—I mean, we're going to spoil this as always, folks. So obviously, if you, if you care about that, go watch it before you listen to this. But um, it's a space horror. Uh, it's kind of in the vein of things like Solaris and Event Horizon, where you have sort of a deep space mission. Things go wrong. There's plenty of action. There's also some sort of deep philosophical reflection. Um, and I believe it's by the director of Event Horizon, which we've already covered. So it's kind of broadly in that vein. I guess humanity has uh, sent an interstellar arc called the Elysium to this blue planet. And uh, things have not gone according to plan, shockingly. You just wonder why people send off all these space missions. Nothing ever goes according to plan. Yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> Pete, I'll... Yeah. Well, and every time they do it, Earth dies, you know? Right. right. They can't... They, they just seem to doom Earth. Like, you know, <laughs> gosh, people need to stop going on these deep space missions and focus on solving problems here at home by reading publications like Common Dreams. Like, stop dooming <laughs> us. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, um, Owen, let's kick it off. Um when did you first see this movie and what made you pick it? So, um, yeah, it, interestingly, I had a similar experience with this that I had with Event Horizon. Um, and I, I, I'm just going to tell the Event Horizon story really quick, which is that um, I was hanging out with uh, my sister back in the early mid aughts. And, uh, you know, we were just hanging out. We were kind of bored. But we were at, uh, her apartment that she shared with her friend. And we found this movie called Event Horizon that look, looked like a cool sci-fi movie. So we just put it in. We had no idea what to expect. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, you guys just covered it. So, and I th- I'm sure that many of, many, if not all of your listeners know what Event Horizon is. So you can kind of imagine our reaction, which was just like, what the fuck? You know, <laughs> the entire time. Um, with this movie, you know, because I was familiar with with the director and and I you know I, and I knew Ben Foster I liked him from uh, I think it was uh, Alpha Dog um and you know Dennis Quaid I was I was interested in checking it out 
But I, I also went into this one not really knowing what to expect. And I think that's one of the reasons that I like the movie so much is that I'm still just like, even even though, I mean, we, we can kind of get into like, it has its good and bad points, but I, I just think that it's, it's, it's a movie that it just doesn't, it doesn't do a lot of things that you kind of expect it would do. And, and even the things that it does do that you do expect that it's going to do as you're watching it, which, which I think we should get into a little bit, but, um, it it is a little bit surprising in in some ways and in some of the ideas that it, that it puts forward and especially i think like the, the final twist i think is really just is 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 pretty brilliant um but i guess i'll just start talking about it. um one of the things i really like about the movie is that within the first like 10 or 15 minutes you're through exposition and kind of you know, the way that the movie kind of like lays out its aesthetic and the reaction of Ben Foster, who's just kind of waking up into this weird abandoned spaceship or seemingly abandoned. Um, w- within the first 15, 20 minutes, basically everything that the movie is going to do is laid out to you. But you don't really realize it at the time. Um, you know, the concept of Pandora, I think it might come a little bit later, but um you know, being trapped, not knowing what's going on, just like survival horror, all, all of this stuff kind of comes up. And there's like the amount of Chekhov's guns on like the first 15 minutes is ridiculous. That's really interesting. And I, you know, having watched it for the first time and kind of being in a rush uh, to get it done when I was in the midst of other things today, like, I don't know if I noticed a ton of that. Um, I would be interested to hear some of your breakdown of, of where you saw that and, and help fill things in a little bit for folks. You mentioned Pandorum, which is the name of the movie. Uh, in this world of this movie, it refers to a particular kind of psychosis that people get in deep space. They sort of lose it as they get sort of deeper and deeper into space. And there's like a historical example of this, like leading to the destruction of a crew that they cite. And then in this movie, uh, yeah, as you said, like Ben Foster wakes up, you get the, th- the impression that him and Dennis Quaid might be the only two survivors on this ship. And that is very much not the case. And of course, as you start to realize, you know, that the ship has been going a lot longer than you might think and a lot longer than it's supposed to have been going. But uh, Owen, like what, what were some of those master strokes like early on that you were thinking of in this movie? Well, yeah, I mean, I think, I think the first one is, is actually the first thing that happens in the movie where you just hear that, you know, like, uh, you know, Earth's population explodes. There's not enough resources. People start fighting. They send out the Elysium. Um, this is just kind of like, like, you know, textual stuff that happens in the beginning. They're just, you know, there's just like writing on the screen explaining this. And then, um, there's a a message comes in which is basically like the earth is gone and i think it's when i was rewatching it i was kind of like amused by not only is the earth gone but like they they go and like they look for the earth and the source like the earth is gone not just humanity like the entire planet has been just vaporized which i thought was kind of funny <laughs> um but so so you're in as you know, the camera's panning in, it pans in on one of the characters that's that's standing on the bridge, and it's like, okay, well, yeah, everybody's just losing it. Okay, this must be just one person. Um, but and then you flash forward, and Ben Foster is is in his you know little cryo sleep tube, and it's it's very it, it's. I think the 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 beginning when you first see him is really kind of well done because it's so claustrophobic, and and that feeling 
kind of goes through the first like five or 10 minutes of the movie, this kind of claustrophobic feeling where first of all, you know, he has all of these wires attached to him. He's all slimy. It's, it's really gross. And he gets out and then he gets Dennis Quaid out a couple minutes later. Same kind of thing. Um, one important thing that's going on as well is that because of the rules of this world's cryo sleep, like, like you don't remember things like your memory is not very good. So, you know, neither of them really remember what's going on. They remember a couple of things of what they're supposed to do. And, you know, they're trapped in this room. So then Ben Foster has to kind of go up into the ventilation shaft or whatever it is to kind of come around. And, and that's kind of how the movie kicks off. And while he's in there, though, you do have this first inkling of this kind of psychosis, this kind of mental break, where he starts to believe that all of these pipes and hoses are moving and 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 consuming him and it, the way that it's shot i think is just really because you just you're watching you feel very tense you know it's just like you feel like you're suffocating as well kind of with him um so owen if you're willing to answer are you a little claustrophobic i i am way more than a little claustrophobic okay uh, because i'm afraid of heights and when i describe that scene to my wife i describe falling down that tube and the fear that generated i think they did a really good job of trying to grab those those root fears and combining them all into one scenario yeah that's that's a really interesting point because when i when i watch that particular point when he is falling Mm-hmm. My reaction is like, oh, thank God he's free. Oh, no, you know, I was but, like, yeah. ah! <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so then, so then he gets out and, you know, he's going around and, and uh, you know, the ship is down. And then, uh, you know, in short order, um, I I think, isn't it in the beginning that there's like the 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 corpse is like hanging upside down and like he, he, he meets somebody and then there's just these grotesque monsters running like humanoid monsters running through the ship kind of hunting people. And, and that's kind of like, and, and another thing I think is really clever is that you're kind of given the impression at this point that that's going to be that those guys are the bad guys. Like that is this, this movie is about, uh, you know, these two men that you've met and maybe a couple other people kind of surviving this onslaught of monsters within a ship that's, uh, drifting out into space Somewhere now, uh, like as I think we'll get into, like that's not entirely what's going on, although it's a part of it. Um, but that is, you know, that is being. Oh, and and to get back to, to your question, Connor. So during that time, uh, it's explained to you that Pandorum is this psychosis where you know you just kind of lose it because you're in the ship and you're in the middle of nowhere and in the middle of space, and there's this uh, Chekhov's gun moment that is also, I think absolutely horrifying for the same kind of reason that you know talking about like the 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 pipes and thing which and this one i think is even worse which is basically this this guy lost it and evacuated the ship which is just all of these tubes being shot out into nowhere and that's just how you die you're just in the you're you're in your pneumatic tube floating in the void forever until you die. Yeah, it's a horrifying image, honestly. This this movie does a great job, as you said, of like lining up very masterfully, not in like a rushed uh, or cheesy way, but like lining up a series of horrific, uh, visceral sensations and images within the first 16 minutes. One of the things that I most like about it. I totally am with you on that. 
Well, yeah. what were you going to say pizza? Well, it's okay. <laughs> well, like one of the first movies we watched together, Connor, or talked about together, I guess we didn't literally watch it together, but uh, it was Alien. And in Alien, one of the things that we both sort of were like, oh, come on, was the was the self-destruct device built into the mining ship for no apparent reason. Right. And um, and uh, like it, it's very petty because like this movie is about exploiting fear and bringing you into this situation. But like I, I don't see why you would design a ship to eject everybody when things go wrong. I mean, they're screwed anyway. Right. Or yeah. why. And this is a spoiler, obviously, but we're going to do tons of those. Uh, <laughs> why the ship that's been going existing for almost a thousand years at this point. It was supposed to be going for 123 years and they find out later that they've been gone for 923 years and most of that time they've been spent with the ship sunk in the ocean of the planet they were supposed to get to. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, and there's some nice, like, uh, you know, uh, Owen, you mentioned Chekhov's gun earlier. One of the things that I was thinking about is, you know, that 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 creepy cannibal chef dude? Mm-hmm. He was He was talking about harvesting algae that was coming through the walls. Right, right. Because they're in an ocean. Of course he's getting algae through the walls. I thought that was perfect. And and also, you know, I think it's I, – I think what you said, Pete, is really kind of interesting. And, and, and I think that there's kind of an amusing answer to it, which is like why would you have, you know, this uh, system built into the ship where you could evac – and the answer to that is obviously so that the ending can happen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, yep. like that's um, – but as far as like uh you know but there but that is the only kind of self destruct mode in the ship there 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 is you know and, and during of course you know during all of this is happening like the ship is shuddering and like you know it's 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 starting to to i guess just kind of like deteriorate um and and you know as as you said Connor yeah it's been there for nine hundred and twenty three years but you know you could also say that it it hasn't been flying as as you find out at the end it hasn't been flying for that entire time and it it quickly becomes apparent that really only one person has been you know turning it on and turning it back turning it off and turning it back on again during this entire time you know the 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 real villain of the piece who is responsible for for basically everything that's going on who is uh, spoilers, but um, Dennis Quaid. Right, and that's, as you said, like one of the Chekhov's guns that, you know, you have to think about, but you alerted me to it just now, is like all of the backstory is about, you know, the population of Earth explodes and, you know, in the in the universe of this story, this is, this is sort of the... Uh, so I, I I'll I'll go back a little bit here and say that I did not to to be honest, Owen, I did not love Event Horizon, nor did I love this movie. And I suspect, and I'm gonna be fair here, I suspect one reason is that I'm not that interested in the the pushing the extremes of Lovecraftian horror to just say that like the horror is to get to the void where you're sort of beyond beyond morality, which both of those films play with. And in this case, we learned that Dennis Quaid um became like, you know, when that transmission from Earth came in, like he kind of lost it, or did he, or whatever. He took over the ship, killed the rest of the crew, and became this tyrant um, over various time periods who, like, ruled this sort of awful, uh, tyrannical realm and then banished a bunch of people to, like, the cargo hold where they became cannibals and over time mutated into this race of monsters. Um, but like you said, like, it's that subtle Chekhov's gun of, like, in the according to the logic of this story, at least, you know, as the as humanity, the population... Uh, 
booms and they fight over resources and Earth goes to hell. And that's replicated on the ship, right? That 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 the ship will inevitably sort of spiral into this dark place. Um, huh. hmm. And we're meant. Yeah. Is that not right? I mean, no, I think it's a good take. Keep going. I'm not I'm not cutting you off. Oh, I just wanted to say that, like, that's I'm I'm monologuing a little bit here. Forgive me. But um, I I think that, like, I am I don't know that I'm as interested in, like, sort of people's people who want to and do succeed in stepping absolutely beyond the bonds of morality as this director particularly is. Although I did appreciate, uh, as Pete noted in some of his questions that we might get to, uh, you know, at the end of the movie, people pop up in their little pods and they're going to have to, with their small group of people, kind of repopulate this planet. Tannis, and it's like, all right, we do have a hopeful ending. I don't really have a point there other than to say, I guess I'll ask Owen, like, what do you make of the way that this ship thinks about morality, politics, and kind of as a corollary that, like, psychosis or that Lovecraftian boundary pushing, that thing that's beyond all of it? Like, what do you think about all of that? I, yeah, I, I think that's such an interesting take, mostly because it's not mine, but I don't, like, I don't think that you're wrong. I just think it's a different way to look at it. Um, the way that, the way that I interpret, um, you know, kind of Quaid's character, uh, maybe being a tyrant, et cetera, is I'm more interpreted as he was more like trying to play God. And, and, and by doing that, he, he just, you know, if, if you think of like a mission that's supposed to be 123 years and it goes for 800 years longer, I, you know, I think the assumption is so it, yeah, they, they crash there after 120 years. And then for 800 years, this guy put himself to sleep, woke back up, uh, played God, opened up some pods, closed them again, went to sleep for a hundred years, woke up, saw what happened, you know, kept doing that in rotation. It's, it's obvious with Ben Foster's character that, that Ben Foster is just the latest, um, member of the flight crew that he's woken up to play his little games with, um, that, that he's been doing this for centuries. Right. And, but I'm not sure that, that I interpret that as kind of like a comment on human society in, in, in the same way that the kind of like the overpopulation and resource kind of Malthusian, uh, intro thing is, which I did not have a problem with the first time I watched, but the second time I watched it or not the second time I've watched it a bunch of times, but when I watched it this time, I was like, I don't, I'm not super comfortable with that anymore. Like, I'm, I'm not sure that I really, like, I didn't really think about it before, but now I'm, it, anyway, maybe I'm just evolved on my politics a little bit. Um, what I will say is, uh, what I have not evolved on is that I'm still as cynical as I always have been. And I, I share a pretty bleak view of human nature. And so the idea that somebody would do the kind of thing that Dennis Quaid's character did is not, uh, like you don't have to really sell me on that, like 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 that. Like I could, like I can definitely see something like that. I can see somebody losing it like that, um, in 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 a situation like that. Uh, but yeah, so I, I I'm not I'm not exactly trying to like push back on what you're saying. I'm just saying that like I look at it in a different way, and 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 I think that it, I, I think that I, both both or either interpretation uh, are, are are fine and can probably you know go, go, uh, you know, can kind of be lined up with one another, but, um, I, you know, I, I definitely see it more as like Dennis Quaid is just this horror character who is playing God and he is a victim of Pandorum, but his Pandorum has just, 
completely gone off the rails. I'm, I'm I, I often find myself in a balance in these situations. I'm somewhere in between you guys. Like, I think this movie was shit amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, like it was it was uh, the action was fun. It's like, could you drive a truck through some of the plot holes? Sure. But like, I, I don't know that I particularly care. That's not the kind of movie it was. I mean, it was it was about a bunch of people going through a ship fighting monsters and all this weird crap happens. And the amount where Paul Anderson spent his time constructing things was around trying to scare the hell out of me. And I respect that. And, you know, Owen, I should probably have this go to a question at some point because I feel like I'm just monologuing now. So um, so we've talked a lot on the show about. Uh, schlock films like the 90s and aughts was full of movies like this we've talked about event horizon pitch black's another good example we've got these gritty awkward plot holes but they're just there to kick ass what what do you think has happened between there and now like could you make pandorum now or is the fact that the studios are now just like two would that change it or have the tastes of the population change what do you think you know, I'm I'm I remember watching it and actually being surprised that it was able to be made then. You know, like like 2009. You know, like that was ten years ago, but like it 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 wasn't really like a a, a time when um you know movies like this were were made frequently. Um, could it be made now? I I don't know. I mean, I think it would depend kind of on who was attached to it. Um, man, I, this is a difficult question because then it kind of gets into like all of this questions about economics of studios and franchise films and streaming. And like, so I guess thinking about that, like the shortest answer that I could have would basically be like, I don't know if it would get made right now uh, in, in, in a major release studio. But I could definitely see like Netflix paying for something like this. That's very interesting that you said that because one of the conclusions that Pete and I have reached through doing this podcast, at least for me, is that we've started to reject um, a lot of the uh, more common narratives around streaming platforms, which are generally like on Twitter, very negative, where it's like we know that it's a lot of redundant uh, kind of quasi prestige TV but like what you just said there, what we found, what we found is that actually partly just because of a, a, a need for raw content at all times, uh, Netflix and other streaming platforms they're starting to do some really interesting things that hopefully can help stem the tide of where studio movie making is going. So I'm glad you said that. Yeah, uh, it's like I guess they, we're doing a lot of yeah. It's like they are the small and mid range studios now because there's nobody else. Right. I mean, and and it, it's not. It's not like something that they're going to start doing now. I mean, like like they did Beast of the Southern Wild with Idris Elba. You know, like uh, I know is that the name of the movie? Maybe it's not that. That's not the name of the movie. Um, I don't know. It sounds cool though. Oh, is it? Um, it's, I know it's, what like, it's like Child about. Soldiers it's, in uh, Africa. It's really good. Uh, but they they release it in the U.S. on Netflix yeah. and and internationally, I think on screen. Um, I I can't. I, I remember writing about it for a paper I was working for at the time, but like. But the one Beasts thing that, of no nation, beasts of no nation. That's, that's the name. Yeah, of the yeah, yeah. So, but the thing that I do remember about it, and like kind of my my take on it, was that um, that that it was kind of proving that Netflix was willing to like make original content that was really interesting, 
Um, and, and in this case, it was, it was good. It was something that was, um, a, you know, independent prestige film, but, but that, that in general, it, it would kind of mean that, that they were starting. And then, you know, to be fair, that was like four years ago. I'm not sure that I, you know, my prediction kind of was borne out, but still. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I think that Pete and I should get in touch with Netflix so they can pay us to do all this free advertising for them. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> that notwithstanding, um, uh, Pete had an interesting question. That and mattresses. We're always talking about mattresses. It's weird. That's right. Mattresses, stamps, and Netflix. Those are going to be our advertisers. Uh, Pete, or, uh, Owen, um, Pete sent you an interesting question that I was thinking about. Would you watch uh, Pandorum 2 about exactly, according to the movie, 1,213 people uh, eating sea sludge on the beach and trying to figure out what to do with a sunken ship full of monsters and a, a virgin blue planet? So I've been thinking about this a lot. And no, but, but, but that is exactly why I like this movie so much. And let, let me explain what I mean. What I really, really like about this movie is that the world building and the concepts, although there's like, like you said, Pete, like, like, yeah, there are a lot of plot holes that, that you could drive a Mack truck through, but the idea and the concept um, of a ship that's been sitting underneath the water for 800 years on this pristine planet, you know, untouched by humans, untouched by Earth, anything, right, is really fascinating to me. And what I, what, I, th- I think the reason that I love the ending of the movie so much is that it it kind of leaves it up to my imagination when I'm watching it. I'm just like, you know what? Who knows? Like, who knows what's going to happen? And I can just kind of imagine what's going to happen in my head, imagine it going many different ways. Um, and and that actually is is also part of like how I think about a lot of the things that happen in the movie, like the concept of Pandorum, um, like you know what happened in those intervening 800 years where we don't know. I find it really interesting to kind of think and kind of imagine and kind of story tell to myself what happens in, I mean, just kind of, you know, just while you're thinking about the movie, just being like, Oh, I wonder what happened then. And like, I, but I don't want answers to that to be in a movie or to hear from the director about that. I, I, I prefer to just have that stuff kind of be in my head and have me be the person who's telling that story. If that makes sense. It, it makes, makes perfect a ton of sense. sense. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Pete. Sorry. Oh, no, that's great. Well, I, I've uh, I've always been really interested in space colonization because I'm a huge nerd. And one of the interesting things about this is 1,200 people is about the minimum population size you would need to keep everybody from having like 16 chins and holes in their hearts. Oh, jeez. Well, like that, I mean, none of them better get sick because like you need that many people to get a population going. I, I, I took the ending as optimistic because they called it the year one of Tannis. And I'm like, all right, like as far as we know, they're going to take it and I'm going to run with that. But you're right. I got to make that choice. And that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and like, to be clear, despite, despite my kind of innate cynicism, um, I like I don't I don't take it as a negative. I don't take it as like, you know, something horrible is going to happen. I, I just think that it 
who knows? I mean, I, I guess I never really thought about like the the idea of twelve hundred people being the minimum. Need. I just kind of always assumed that they would just survive and start a civilization, and then eventually, you know, devolve into the same kind of warring that <laughs> they did on Earth. But like, you know, maybe like not for like a couple hundred years or or tens of years or what you know, however long it takes. Sure. But but, th- but that you know, kind of imagining like what that would look like possibly i think is is m- more interesting to me than watching a movie about this or uh watching like a mini series on on netflix or 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 something right on this although i would still watch it i mean like you know of course but it, it's it's I, I i'm happy not i'm i'm happy to have that not exist well, I think that you bring up that you're touching on something that is interesting to me that I was, was sort of occurring to me as you were talking, but it also with reference. So we just um, we should an episode on a movie from the late 90s that you may have seen called Dark City, which uh, we're going to put that up soon. But Dark City is a very aesthetically distinctive movie that is much, much different than this one. I bring it up only because. It does. It, it's so invested in creating its own self-contained uh, aesthetic universe, and by aesthetic universe, I mean not just—I mean a storytelling universe uh, with all this backstory and stuff, but also just all working out all the the aesthetics of the shots and how to design the syringe and all this stuff. And you know, Pandorum maybe doesn't do it is not as intensive about that or as sort of standalone distinctive as um, Dark City. But again, these are both non-serialized films that have to do this stuff internally and as you said give the audience the key point is that give the audience a lot of intelligence for being able to imagine more of the backstory to imagine their own (laughs) to develop a headcanon in sort of a non-patronizing way Um, and I think we're going to need going forward culturally because the push is to serialize storytelling as much as possible right whether it's obviously TV shows on streaming platforms or movie franchises or video game franchises that never die or even series of books the push is to serialize all storytelling and part of that is because what what we want economically now is to seek rent on everything we want people to subscribe and be paying rents permanently on the things they want, not just be able to pay, you know, X amount for this Blu-ray. Um, and again, I'm monologuing and flying off into the ether conceptually. My point is that I you make a you really important... I think you should mention the Patreon, though, dude. Yes, uh, p- but our Patreon is good, <laughs> right? So that's a good yeah, thing you should subscribe course. to forever. Uh, yeah, that's something you should definitely get on. But no, I mean, I, I'm, I'm wheeling off into the ether here, into the space around the Elysium, but I guess I'm just saying that, like, your point is very well taken and that, like, the... We used to believe culturally that it was worth worth it to undertake the process of creating a self-contained one-off aesthetic and narrative space, uh, and that was pretty standard. And now, I think without without even necessarily realizing it, we've gone far away from that being the case. It's very hard to come up with the resources to sort of build and deploy uh, just a self-contained one-off set of uh, a narrative and a set of aesthetics. So that do you guys agree with that? Hmm. Well, I, I mean, I don't, you're not arguing that this is something new, right? Oh, no, I'm just saying that I think it's become increasingly rare, even even in films, which, which I think have historically done it a lot, to build something over the course of only 100 minutes. And I guess now I'm saying that the serialization drive is so matched with certain economic drives that I, you know, I just wonder, I, I don't know, I don't have a full thesis about this. Uh, I was just wondering if you had any thoughts about it relative to this or anything else. 
Yeah, I mean, I I think that I I, I definitely see I definitely see what you're saying as far as film. I mean, one hundred percent. The like, if if Pandorum had done well at the box office, would there be a sequel? Probably, right? Like, that's just kind of. Um, I was stunned that they're closing out the the Marvel universe they've built after 23 movies, and that's ridiculous. After 23 movies, of course they should edit, but we're so used to them just like, continuing to milk the cow. Well, they're going to reboot it, though, of course. Well, right. No, no, yeah, no, they're not, but they're, but they're not rebooting it, though. I mean, they're just, like, like this is, that's the end of Phase 3. Now Phase 4 starts, and all of the characters that are still there are going to continue going on. I mean... Like it's oh, the it, oh yeah I mean th- that this is the end of that part of the story, but it 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 will continue to go on and on forever. I mean, like or until it stops making money, which I don't you know see happening anytime, you know in in the future. I, I think that there are certainly um some you know science fiction works um that are maybe both serialized and self-contained. And I don't want to like kind of digress too far, but one of, you know, one of the series that um, Connor and I were talking about before, you know, we came down to Pandorum was the um, Expanse TV show and books, but, Oh yeah. But they have like a specific ending. Like the next book is it, it's over. Right. So it's, it's like, they're doing nine books. They've had one come out pretty much every year, every year, year and a half. And like once the ninth one is out, like that's the end of the main of 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 the of of the nine book series. That's it, right? So there's so there's like that. I I like that idea a lot. I like the idea of having a, a definite beginning point, a definite ending point. And if you want to serialize the story within that beginning and ending, then that's fine. As long as you kind of have like like a place that you're definitely going. Um, where I think. And I think this is maybe more kind of going to your point, Connor, but where it's something like and like you said, Pete, like like with like Marvel, where it's just going to keep going and going and going. And even though like this part of the story ended, it's just going to continue to and like that's also kind of because comic books are serialized, uh, you know, uh, forms of entertainment. But that franchise is just going to keep going for however long it can or you know even the game of thrones books which if we're still pretending that they're ever going to get finished (laughs) like you know originally we're going to be three books and then they were going to be five books and now they um in 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 a fantasy more extreme than westeros if he wrote the other two like like you know like there would be seven but like you know who knows and and then they're spinning that off into different franchises and then i think sorry and now i'm starting to digress but i just want to get this one last thought in which is that i think it's not only franchise it's not only serializing of stories but it's kind of the way that um the entertainment industry looks at uh product if they see something that works they would rather continue to have um, offshoots of that that are not original because they know that people will continue to watch and or consume in whichever way that they can, rather than put the resources toward making some making either a which is more likely a new franchise or a new serial or even b 
which I think is just completely rare. And I think kind of like brings us all the way back to what you were saying about like, would this movie get made now, which is like trying to make something simple, self-contained that you could be one story in a hundred minutes, which would be satisfying. And, And I don't know if, if that's really something that you would see, a lot of money or a lot of uh, effort and resource be put into, at least without like a major name attached to it. So do you guys know J. Michael Straczynski? He did uh, like Babylon 5. I, I, I do not. I know him um, more from his comic book work. Okay. Well, what he did with Babylon 5 was he wrote the plot outline in advance. He's like, this is season one, this is season five, that's all you get, and here are the things that happens in order. And then, like, guest directors could come in and do specific episodes, or they were given a, you know, like, that sort of thing. And that is a model that fascinates me, and I don't think the industry will allow it anymore. But it's one way that you could have a series of sequels that aren't just milking the cow. Like, if there's an actual purpose. So I guess I'm saying I agree. Yeah, there's, you know, there's, there's, um, this is not sci-fi, but there's a, um, there's a television writer in England called Jed Mercurio, uh, Mercurio, I, I don't really know exactly how you pronounce the last name, but, uh, he, he's the guy that created and wrote, uh, Bodyguard, which is on Netflix right now, six episodes, six episode little miniseries there, but his longer, um, show is called Line of Duty, which is a police procedural kind of about corruption. Um, this on season five, but he's written all of it. You know, he hasn't directed all of it, but he's written all of it. And I think that's kind of like the same idea. If you could have, it's kind of like the idea of just having one creative mind behind something, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and having, having the shape of the story in mind from beginning to end. So you don't end up with a lost situation. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Or a game of Thrones situation. Oh yeah. Like, I, I am sorry, but like whatever's happening right now was never part of anybody's plan until the last minute. I do not accept that. Yeah, it feels extremely half baked. Oh man. Um, Owen, oh, like, uh, ask you, kind of, are uh, if you anything else want to say about this movie, um, hit me with it. I'm also curious though to know, like, if you have other sci-fi movies, books, or shows, or games, any medium. Uh, what is the science fiction that means the most to you? Yeah. Um, no, I think, I think I pretty much said, I, I guess the, the, the last thing I'll say about Pandorum is just to like reinforce my point that the reason that I love that movie so much is exactly for all of the kind of using my own imagination things that I was talking about because the, because what the movie does to me is it just really like, it, it just hits on all of those points for me where I just, I'm just always thinking about like, um, I'm just kind of, I just end up like spiraling in my own imagination about it. Um, but as far as sci-fi that, you know, really appeals to me, um, I, I've been, you know, a fan of, of this kind of medium for most of my, uh, almost four full decades. Um, and, you know, I, comic books, um, I think like, uh, X-Men definitely probably like one of my, one of my top ones there, especially with like all, all the outer space kind of adventures that they have. Um, but when I was younger, I kind of wasn't so into it. I was more into fantasy. And then as I got older, I kind of got into more like thrillers and this is, I'm just talking about books right now. 
like thrillers and, and mysteries. Um, and I really only got super into reading sci-fi about like five or six years ago. And that I've just been like consuming it nonstop pretty much since then. Um, and the, I, you know, I love the expanse novels. Um, seven eaves by Neil Stevenson just, uh, was another huge, huge book for me. Um, for also another one, uh, for a lot of the reasons that, that I was just talking about Pandora that I really liked that, that just like, there's a lot of, um, and I think this is something that you said earlier, Pete, we're, we're kind of like trusting the audience to use their, or maybe you said it, Connor, I'm, I'm sorry. It was a couple of minutes ago, but. Oh, give me yeah. credit. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, like this idea that, you're trusting the audience enough to fill in these blanks for themselves. And, and you're also trusting that the audience will, that, that the reader or the viewer will enjoy that and, and, and will be able to maybe, maybe a different way to say this is that you can tell the reader that like vaguely, okay, within this space of time, like X, Y, and Z happened. Right. And each of the three of us might see that in a particularly different way, but you're trusting and you know that each of us will be able to make the jump from the point that we explicitly have been told what's happening to the point that now we're explicitly told what's happening now. And that even though we might interpret what happens in between a little bit differently, we'll, we'll still be able to get there. Right. And I, I, I really, I really like that from, um, from whatever, you know, uh, uh, medium it is. Um, and then, you know, as far as movies, I mean, uh, sci-fi movies have have probably been like the one constant sci-fi thing for, you know, I mean, aliens and alien, uh, in that order for me, uh, you know, the Terminator movies, uh, the matrix movies, dark city, uh, is even though the first time that I watched, I didn't quite understand exactly what was going on. I had to watch it again when I was a little older to, to really get what it was. Um, trying to think of like other ones. Like there were, there were like some really good sci-fi movies in the nineties that I cannot remember now. Yes. But I, that were really cool. Well, and, and it, there was just, there was a, a a market presence for that kind of uh, sci-fi. It was wonderful. I, I saying golden age is tacky, but that's what it feels like sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, the, my only hesitation with that is, is that, it's easy for me to call that the golden age. Cause that's when I was a teenager. <laughs> so like, of course for me, it's like, Oh yeah, well, of course that was like the golden age, the nineties for sure. Um, but what was that movie with Christian Bale in it? That was like a precursor to the matrix. You know, the one I'm talking about. No, uh, I don't actually precursor to the matrix. Okay. Hmm. Let, let's, let's split paths here. Uh, you, you Google that Connor and, uh, I'll make a book recommendation. So, Owen, um, I often give book recommendations to guests. Can I do that for you? Please, please. Okay, uh, are you familiar with Alastair Reynolds? No. Okay, Alastair Reynolds does a series of books called Revelation Space. And they are they are space opera with a serious side of gritty. Um, if you like uh, Seven Eves, I think you'll like this. So, uh, Alistair Reynolds, give it a check. If, if you don't like it, I'll refund your money on the books. No, no, no. Thank you. Definitely. I'll, I'll definitely, definitely check that out. I just, 
I just ran through Google really quick and it looks excellent. Cool. Um, although I'm trying not to. Re- Sorry, I didn't mean to no, go no, off. That's fine. Reynolds? Yes. Reynolds, yeah. Um, I think Alistair Reynolds did some of our uh, favorite stuff on Love, Death, and Robots, so I'm a fan. By the way, the one movie you wanted me to look up, I believe, is called Equilibrium. Yes. It came out in 2002. Oh, Equilibrium, sure. Mm-hmm. That's so, yeah, so it's 2002, so it's a little bit, but, and it is after The Matrix, so it is probably like a Matrix kind of knockoff, but it's still cool. Still cool. Oh, yeah. I'm all about gun kata, man. Um, and, you know, like, I, I'm just going to say it. Like, Hunger Games book, books are really good. I like the movies, too. I'm not ashamed. That's an interesting one. I would not have picked that for you. So that's interesting. We would have to do Hunger Games at some point, Pete. Yeah, you know, I have... Oh, we have... Sometimes we've been hitting authors that do, say, young adult books... And I've actually been going back and checking some of that stuff out. And it is not, uh, there's value in mining that stuff out. There are some good books out there in that category. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, that, we're actually, I, I, I just want to say, like, I, th- I think that Hunger Games is, I think it's good because it just is not trying to be anything other than what it is. All, it, well, it's not trying to be anything other than Battle Royale and other than anything that it is. Which is you guys know what Battle Royale is? Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but but besides that, I mean that like that's just you know that's just what it is. It's just it's it's a dystopian science fiction novel for young adults that is well written and readable. And you know, it, like I guess that's the kind of thing. Like you know, like like you were saying, like schlock um, sci-fi and schlock fiction and and in general is you know it doesn't have to be good to be enjoyable or it doesn't sorry it doesn't have to be a work of um great beauty and literature or 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 whatever like to be good yeah to be enjoyable It, it, it can just be i mean you know space opera any any of this kind of stuff i i think it's all all enjoyable and honestly like for me, a lot of the time, because for my job, I have to be reading all the time, like just like the constantly, like, like, you know, eight, eight, at least eight hours a day. Um, I'm just reading, 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 reading. I don't always, when I'm looking for fiction, want something that's super wordy and intense. Um, sometimes I just want something that I can just kind of have fun with. Yeah. That makes perfect. Well, you come sense. to the right place. That's <laughs> our our pod is very open to all of that. Um, this is probably a pretty good place for us to to end it. But Owen, thank you so much for coming on, and I'm sure at some point we'd love to have you back on if you'll if you'll if you'll have us. Yeah, no, this was this was great. I really really enjoyed like um, all of the different places that the conversation went to. I think it was really interesting. We had a great time too. Um, and you know what? Honestly, I'm going to say it. I Pandorum was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. So thank you for that, too. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yes. Everybody listening, watch it, please. Yeah. Thanks, man. Take care, everybody. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Right, thanks. On.